Welcome, my friends, to another episode of Is That Really Legal? with Eric Rubin. Today, you're going to hear a great interview with Steve Walter. Steve Walter is a musician, a raconteur, but most importantly, uh, for our purposes, he has owned The Cutting Room for many years, and The Cutting Room is a club in New York City which has an incredible history. Some amazing acts have come uh, to play there, some to just watch other people there, and it, the history continues. It's still operating. It has survived the pandemic and continues to thrive, uh, frankly, because of the stewardship of Steve Walter who has been a piece of New York history himself for a considerable amount of time. So you're going to hear him talk about amazing acts and uh, New York history. We're going to go down a few cul-de-sacs. I will have to apologize for some of the sound issues lately and uh, sound issues possibly in this interview, but you'll still hear a fantastic interview. Yeah, if you want more great interviews, make sure to subscribe to this podcast, share it with people. Also, let me know if there's some people you would like me to be interviewing. If there's people you think might be, you know, they're a hero of yours, you think it might be a long shot, you never know. I can get them on the show. Hero, heroine, I don't know. I don't want to be sexist. In any event, sit back, relax, and enjoy this interview with the incredible Steve Walter. Steve Walter, welcome to Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. I'm so glad to meet you today. Thank you, Shane. And, you know, as I'll say in the introduction, uh, I have met you very briefly and have met you because of Jay Messina, who's a mutual friend, as well as his wife, Colleen. Um, And uh, as I was able to do a little research on you, there's not a lot about you, honestly, that I could find. But I know that when it comes to music, you must be a skilled musician yourself. You went to the Berkeley School of right. Music in Boston. Um, but I want to back up and just ask, where did you start your life? Where are you from? Oh, down the Jersey Shore, which was a great music scene. Oh, man, you were probably there like at the same time as guys like Southside Johnny and Bruce. Sure. And, yeah. uh, you know, people... You know, it's so interesting. I feel older now, of course, but there's a whole, and as I looked through some stuff about you, we're going to talk about some names that are so important to me and obviously to you that some people forgot about, but without whom those, without those foundational people, a lot of acts today wouldn't even exist. And I think Southside Johnny is one of those guys. Yeah. I mean, uh, the Beatles and Ed Sullivan, that's what I took for life. But, um, yeah, the music scene now is very amazing. I remember it was $2 cover to see Bruce at the Student Prince and, and all that, you know. So I go back for them. Yeah. And um, why music school and why Berkeley? Berkeley was the best, you know, still is pretty good, but it was the best contemporary music school. Um, I just became obsessed with guitar when I saw the Beatles and Ed Sullivan. And the music scene was great in Asbury. I had a light show. So I did Lights of Sunshine in, got to work with Rich Havens, Proka Harum, you know, Roy Buchanan, Rory Gallagher, Jay Giles, Edgar Winter, on and on and on, you know. 
Wow, you just dropped a lot of heavy names. Like Flash, yeah, it was amazing. Heavy names. Um, I. It's funny. A lot of people I've talked to, including Jay, and including a bass player who has now escaped my memory, who I just interviewed, and who's in a band called Puzzle Box. You might know him. He plays a twelve-string bass, and I interviewed him recently. But anyway, everybody has this um, aha moment when the Beatles show up, including yeah. little little Stevie. I mean, he talks sure. about it in interviews. Um, suddenly, music went from a single person or a couple of people singing with a big orchestra or some kind of faraway thing. Here were four fun guys who were doing it on their own, you know, at least from our point of view. Yeah. And suddenly, everybody wanted to have a garage band. That's right. <laughs> I think you know, that, they cut their asses off. How many sets in Hamburg a night to get? Oh, going? right. I mean, you know, I'm fully familiar. I'm a crazy Beatles fan, and there's no such thing as an overnight sensation. So the Beatles spent years in Hamburg and lots of other places um, playing to very disinterested or rowdy or drunken crowds and really honed their skills. Um, and going to Berkeley for you, um, did you go for guitar? I was a composition major, but guitars are an instrument. So I feel if I want to play guitar, I can study with somebody good and play. While I'm in school, just learn everything you can. So they're called composition stuff. You know, it was, it was I was here and Pat Metheny was 17, just joined Gary Burton's band. Um, Steve Smith had joined as a senior as a freshman. Ken Moodenar was a hot drummer. It was a small two two buildings, a much smaller school. We used movieolas, weren't computers yet. It was just great. So uh, you dropped a lot of stuff there too. So Pat Metheny, who I'd say was the first very modern poppy jazz guitar player or jazz rock kind of guy. Him and Lee Rittenauer, I think of together, and. Benson, a little more old school, uh, yeah. but similar, like all coming up together. Yeah, Maybe that was more ethereal. Yeah, even guys like Earl Clue, who I don't hear a lot about anymore. But anyway, um, amazing players. Right. Uh, I, I. That school itself, of course, I don't know if you saw the movie Coda, which won the Oscar yeah. this year. There's a very important scene that happens in Berkeley. Uh, at the school, I recommend you see that movie. I recommend everybody see that movie. Um, there's a lot about music in there, and there's some great music. There's Joni, Joni music in that. <laughs> I love Joni. Anyway, um, so you, what, you're a guitar guy. D did right. you, a lot of us develop a, uh, a love of a particular brand or a particular guitar that we then get a loyalty to. Did you have that experience? Uh, I, 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 I like the warmth of Gibson humbuckers, but I have all the, as um, Lenny K said, all the usual fruits. Uh, you know, I have Les Paul Strat, SG, Telly, 345, 175. I got a lot of guitars. I love them, you know. <laughs> I, I think that people who don't play guitar don't understand we don't need them all, but we want them. Of course. All. Yeah, um, I love them. And you play kind of differently with each one. You know, like Fender's great if you're for cutting through, doing rhythm, and Gibson's warmer if doing single line stuff, and, you know, that whole thing. And I got to study improv with Gary Burton at Berkeley as well. So that was pretty amazing. Gary Burton? That yeah. was of the animals and war? No, no, no. that's Eric Burton. Gary Eric Burton's the Vibers. Yeah, the Vibers. Oh. 
Got it. Taught it. Dance improvisation class. It was great. See, the problem is I know too much that I think I know too much. That I was wrong. Sorry about that. So you get, you spend how many years at Berkeley? Four years at Berkeley. Four, 74 to 78. And do you graduate with like a BFA or BA? A bachelor's of arts. Bachelor's of music. That's what it'd be on, bachelor's of music. <laughs> and then what happens? Then, <laughs> that's then I got, I was teaching guitar, like 40 students, did the club circuit. At that time, disco was happening. I hated it, but you had to do that to work. And, right. um, and um, then I got into the garment center, believe it or not. Had some retail stores, you know, clothing. I got into manufacturing women's coats for 15 years. You know, that's a very New York story, though, for all yeah. artists. There's a, I mean, that's a day job, but it was probably a great day job because you're in the city. And back then, yeah. there really was a garment center that doesn't even really exist oh, yeah. anymore there. But yeah. you, I, I remember as a kid. It's the same dynamics. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, it's the same dynamics. One's visual, one's oral. They apply the same dynamics pretty much. But yeah. I mean, I remember the days of guys literally walking across the street with giant racks of dresses that were sure. just made yeah. and getting putting them in the back of giant trucks to be shipped who knows where. I mean, people forget yeah, one so of the things about this country and the city was we manufactured things here in the city, especially oh, yeah, garments. They were the, the garments were the biggest employer in the city at one time. But all those trucks and rolls and all the Italian tailors outside and all the salesmen with pinky rings, it's a whole... Uh, the whole thing that's gone. But it was yeah. those factories, all those jobs, and all those two martini lunch places, it's all gone. And so many schmoozy deals done. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, but some of the garment district kind of exists. You can go places and there's like a button shop where like you could get every button under yeah. the sun still probably there. But near me in Brooklyn, there's sort of a second garment district in an area called Sunset Park. Um but it's nothing mm -hmm. like what it was, um, which is kind of an uh, introduction. I was all domestic. Right, right. Now everything is made in Asia, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so you spent 15 years doing that, working in the garment district, but you were still playing guitar and doing Yeah, stuff. nothing else filled that void, no matter how successful I become at that. So when I had the opportunity this, I was doing both, and then I closed my company. And I saw it all going offshore and all the stores were consolidating anyway. So, so what happened next? So I, um, I was working there and a girl I was working with, the husband was going to open the cutting room. So I was a small investor and I went there and um, nothing is being done. So I would take off my suit, put on a flannel shirt and jeans and paint and spackle. I had, did work construction before, so I knew a little bit about that. So I did that. And then I'm um, okay. Well, he doesn't know construction. Then he was taking care of business. So we voted him out as a managing partner, voted me in. And okay, well, he'll book the bands because that's what he was doing at Kenny's Castaway. Um, I didn't Kenny's Castaway. Whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa. We got to yeah, stop okay. for a second. So, you know, I have a sense of history. And I also lived in the village in the 80s. And okay. Kenny's Castaway was still around in sure. the 80s. Yeah. Um, that was down not far from like the bitter end and the bottom line. Yeah, next door to the bitter end, yeah. I mean, that's a time the 80s. And CBGBs was still around. I mean, we're talking yeah. about the punk scene was really happening. I don't think it was oh, happening yeah. at Kenny's, but there was also the back fence or the back. Yeah. Something. I may have even, I think I even played a couple of sets at the back fence a few million years ago. 
Sure. Uh, but anyway, what people don't realize is in the village at that time, you know, you had a really hopping music scene. Oh, yeah. if you, even if you had an acoustic, you could go in one night and hope to get heard and do some songwriter thing. Or, sure. And then there was a lot of different stuff going on. Uh, uh, is this around the time that you were doing what you were doing? Or when did... Yeah, when I had was the Madison Garment Center in the 80s. But um, the bottom line was a great club. Two shows and I, everybody played there. That was just, they couldn't exist. Say they were paying 11000 a month rent when he closed. Now it'd be 111000 They didn't pay rent for two years. It was all cash, no credit cards, and food sucked. You couldn't do that today. But, it, but man, Ringo, Miles, uh, Cream, everybody played there. We did the memorial for Stanley Stavsky when he died from there. And you saw young Joni and Harry Chapin and... Um, Jackson Brown. It was just phenomenal, you know. I lived era. on I lived on Mercer Street between oh, Bleaker and Third, just like around the corner. Yeah, that was just a great place. Now it's NYU, but um, yeah. So I didn't know one band, one uh, musician, let alone a band. So I had to learn quick. So we, anyway, I bought out nine partners the first year who thought the club was a place to drink and you know get away from your wife or whatever. So and then I just I was doing both. Garment Center day, cutting room nights. I just closed my Garment Center company because I had my heart was in the music. And who were some of the first acts that you really booked there? Mike Viola. He was like very first. Um, you know, a lot of local, a lot of local. But that, at that, that was our original location. We had Leon Russell, Ricky Lee Jones, Dave Edmonds, Mitch Err, um, the Searchers. You know, Lady Gaga got signed at that cutting room. We wow. had Jones every Wednesday for four years. A lot of SNL after parties. Um, Cheryl Crow with Gwyneth Paltrow and Kid Rock. That was a hell of a night. Gwyneth Paltrow, you know, I've only seen her sing once, and it was with CeeLo at some show. And I was like, oh, crap, yeah, she can sing. Yeah, and her father, Bruce Paltrow, and her mother was there. Gail Green, uh, Chris Rock, Kevin O'Connor. was quite a night. That was when our first big night, really, put us on the map. Ricky Lee Jones, what a voice. And Leon Russell. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he played there a few times. Yeah. Do you remember the Lone Star Cafe? Because sure. sometimes you'd see, I Both saw Rick like Danko. I'm sure Rick Danko played at your place too. At no, some point. Yeah. For the yeah. kids who don't know who Rick Danko was, he was the bass player for a little band called The Band. Yeah, we had, and, we had the keyboard player. <laughs> ah, yeah, they sort of. He they played with Donovan, believe it or not. Wow, Donovan, that's a whole... He played, he, played, uh, this, he played that cutting room in this one twice. He was amazing, just terrific. Now, um, I saw an interview that you did a couple of years ago when the pandemic hit, asking right. you about this stuff. And, um, well, let me back up a second because you mentioned some names. Jeez, I don't know, there's a lot of stuff you're bringing up, but I I'll just... So when you first opened up, was there anybody that you were starstruck by? Was there anybody like, holy crap, I can't believe they're coming to my place? Um, yeah, one night, um, uh, Sean Penn was there with uh, Harry Belafonte, and, he, and I said hello, and he's waiting for a friend. The friend turned out to be Al Pacino. So I sat down with um, Billy Zane. So one table, Billy Zane, Al Pacino, Harry Belafonte, and Sean Penn. That was pretty major. Sean came another time with Nicole Kidman and Kathleen Keenan. So those kind of nights, oh, oh, Whippy Goldberg's 50th birthday party had Robert De Niro, Robin Williams, Mayor Bloomberg, um, Mike Nichols, um, what's your name, Louise Parker, 
you know, that was quite whoopee alone, but that was quite a night of, uh, <laughs> yeah. Did you, was that, I mean, let's, I know you're a businessman and obviously a serious right. businessman. You took over the club and you made it a thing, but it's got to also just be exciting. I mean, I'm, yeah, at one point, are you a little bit of a fan to that stuff? I mean, oh, sure. Yeah. Some nights the music just gives you chills when it's some, you know, we had Ronnie Wu with Mick Taylor and Simon Kirk and Al Cooper did four show those that night. Um, when John Anderson sang, I mean, his voice just almost cried. It was beautiful. Johnny Trudy Collins. Um, we've had you know, those kind of things. Bill Clinton did a dinner, George Bush, Nancy Pelosi, Carolyn Kennedy, John Lewis. You've had all them. I know you watched a show not that long ago with uh, Ron Wood, Mick Taylor, Al Cooper, and you were sitting next to Mickey Dolenz. And for people who don't know who he was, he was the drummer from the Monkees, who yeah, bunch, outstanding yeah. voice, a really good drummer. Yeah. And, and from everything that I hear, just one of the sweetest guys in the business. Oh, yeah. And he's got great stories. He was there for all that, you know. I mean, I remember seeing him in the front row of Woodstock, like they constantly oh, show, right. I think it might have been, or was it Monterey? Monterey, yeah. Uh, okay. You can see him uh, watching somebody, uh, I can't remember who else, but he was, oh, it might have been Ravi. It might have yeah. been Ravi Shankar. Anyway, I don't want to get too lost in all of yeah. that. When you, you as a musician, right? meet you as a club owner, what is that intersection like? Because I could understand saying that musician's amazing but if they don't have a following is yeah. that your job to get people in or are you like see me later when you have the star power to fill my club yeah. what kind of process always, is that like always walk in that fine line of art and commerce so there's there's three regions to book a band. They're great. We get behind them because they're just so good. Second reason they're not that good, but they're going to pack the club and keep the doors open. Third reason, if there's like some celebrity cachet, we're going to get press from it. They're on a TV show or something. So that's it. Very rare do you get both. But yeah, if, if an act's really good, it's hard for me to say no. And that's a musician. And also have the relationships, which is good and also not so good. Because you know them, it's like, yeah, okay, you're a great player. How could I say no? Yeah, I know I'm going to lose money on it. You know, um, that happens all the time. Or Ben, that sucks, but we'll have 200 people in the place, you know. So I'm not going to I'm not going to ask you who you think isn't good, but pack the place. But have there been people that you were like, these people are just too good. I can't not have them. Yep. Um, who can you give me a couple of names that uh, Chandler Travis from up in Cape Cod? He's terrific. Never draws. Um, God, there's I'm sure there's a lot of them that I, I keep bringing back. Mrs. Smith's a great guitar player. Dresses and like an old lady in shreds. That's fun. We have Millie Brosh coming up, who's a phenomenal Israeli guitarist. I don't expect to get a lot of people, but I think she's going to be huge. She's like a shredder, like a Steve Vai kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I don't have that. So, um, yeah, the, the Carnaby Street girls are Amber Martin and Shannon Conley, both amazing voices. They do all female British invasion. And I've heard them. Are, they are fantastic. Oh, yeah. yeah, Petulia Clark and Dusty and all that. So, I, yeah, I, well, I believe there's something there, and it's all 60s go-go they dress. So, I believe in that. Um, Shorty Long, you know, a, a, a Jersey cover band. It's a riot. Boogie Wonder Band out of Canada covered but they're so good at what they do and it doesn't draw for whatever reason i don't get it but um yeah so it's very common jazz acts like rob sheps an amazing tenor sax player 
not going to draw, but he's so good. You know, he comes and plays. What are you going to do? You just had Daniel Monte there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I interviewed him. Really great guy. Was that a good yeah. show? He, he was great. He, I think he had about a dozen people. But I, but I knew he wasn't. He, he took a bus down from Toronto. You know, great player, great voice. But nobody knows him. New York is so expensive. People just don't go out. Like not like the six Hey, You know, I want to check out some music. Let's go there. It's four dollars a ticket. Now everything's a fortune. Parking, taxis, and you know, with everything. Else. And also, you have so much at home. Unfortunately. People say, oh, doing YouTube, like Netflix killed the movies, they can download. Amazon killed retail and Tinder killed dating. And, and somebody just orders up food on Grubhub and they, they download movies. They don't bother going out. So yeah. you, know, you could dress up. It was sophisticated, elegant. You, you made a night out of it and you went places. And by right now, 10 o'clock, PJ Clark's is closed, 9 o'clock, Oha. There's after 10 o'clock, if you know where to even eat. So there is no more night scene, and it's a real drag. At the bottom line, the late show sold out first, and then the early show. A lot of times, late shows more money because there's more demand. Right. So that makes it really hard, and that's, uh, that's the big difference. You know, my yeah. wife and I recently went to Jones Beach to see two different shows. I, we love country. I write country stuff. Right. And we, we went to see two amazing country acts. What I was struck by was how great the shows were, what a great venue Jones Beach is right. on a great night, but how badly behaved the crowd was. Now, right. I'm, used to, I'm used to people being, you know, spitting on people or throwing up, right. but, but I'm not used to people talking through a show. Yeah. I mean, people are on their phones, they're checking sports scores, and I got the chicks, the Dixie chicks. I mean, they're live. They're, by the way, a great show, and I got people behind me saying, oh, I don't like that they're political. Like, Shut up, watch the music, or get out. I, I, I'm stunned by, I, yeah. as a result, I'd rather see the show on TV where I can see the show. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, do you find that you've got badly behaving people in your clubs in a different way? Okay, it's not the real musicians draw real listeners. Mm. You know, the young stuff, not, they're coming for the scene, you know. But we've done a lot of country with serious rape. We've had, like, Blake Shelton, Zach, Zach Brown, um, Jason Aldean, um, you know, like when Sirius Radio is on some, some Loretta Lynn. Mm, we've, wow. We've done countries a tough draw in Manhattan, but we have done some. Yeah, I, I could imagine that, but I'm also surprised at how, like Jones Beach, I saw, I saw the chicks and then I saw Tim McGraw and it was huge, but they're all coming from Jersey or other places, I think, or out on Long Island. Um, yeah. By the way, just so people know, the guy I talked about who plays 12-string bass was a guy named Clint Barr. Um, I don't know if you know Clint. He's a friend of Jay's, and Jay did some work on his stuff. But anyway, um, so you have lived through a lot of stuff with, yeah. with the club. Sure. Um, I, I am struck by the expense of things, but part of it is, as a business person myself, People have to understand the rents in New York are ridiculous. The rent, con ed, the real estate tax. No, because you pay that real estate tax escalation was 20000 a share. How could it be worth more? The city's empty. But um, the garbage went up. Exterminate. Every single thing went up. Food costs went up 16 17%. It was, and everything was expensive anyway. So how much can you charge for drink? They'll get one and said two or they won't come or they won't drink. So it's very tough. You're working for the landlord and taxes, you know. I would accept that you can't make money doing this. It's got to be a passion thing. 
now, you can you, establish a name and then take it somewhere else, I guess. Do you find that having some other clubs um, still in the city as, I wouldn't call them competition, but being in the same business, do, do they help uh, you? Because like sometimes there are neighborhoods where one restaurant doesn't do that great, but if there's three, they all suddenly do really well. Oh, yeah. I wish there was something else on our street. We're, we're, we're like in Siberia. But it would be nice if there was more nightlife on our street. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, we're, I'm friendly with all the, like when City Winery was in between venues, we did their shows for them. You know, they, we did that together. So that's we, a great place to see a show. I've seen yeah. some stuff there. Now they the new one that's huge. I don't know how, how they're going to play an airplane. I don't know how they're going to film in today's day and age, you know. So did they close down. the one on Barrack? That's no longer. Yeah. Uh, Disney bought the building and knocked it down for the headquarters. They had to move. So they moved by the water to a much larger place. I think they want to do a lot of weddings and stuff. That's really, that's where the money's up at private events. You know, weddings, bar mitzvahs, corporate things. That keeps the doors open so I can do the artistic stuff. That sounds a lot like what a comedian does um in the sense that comedians hate corporate gigs but they right. pay so well they have to do them that's right exactly so they you know they do these kind of corporate gigs that they dislike and then they can go do like they can run around to little offbeat clubs and and do a show for 30 people and really stretch out their stuff i know sure. that you had besides joan who was an industry unto herself Sure. You've had good relationships with comedians at your place. I, I've seen pictures of you with Gilbert Godfrey, who sadly recently oh, yeah. passed away. Did People birth, forget yeah. how great he was. I loved him. The nicest guy. We did that birthday in the live podcast right before the pandemic. We had um, Dave Chappelle did seven shows before his SNL thing, and his after party was phenomenal. We've had Louis Anderson. We've, we've had a lot of them over the years. Yeah, the comedians are great. You know, I, I also cool. find that some comedians want to be musicians, and some musicians want to be oh, comedians. Yeah. The same thing, musicians and actors. Yeah, we've had a lot like Minnie Driver, Dave Duchovny. They've had bands that have all played. We've also had the kids, you know, like the Nelson Twins, James McCartney, um, Harry Chapin's daughter, um, Maria Moldar's daughter. So many of the kids, uh, Rhonda Ross. So many. You know, I, I just want to. I haven't met so many of these people, but I actually did get to meet Harry Chapin because when I was in college, my fraternity did a charity concert for world hunger and Harry Chapin was the performer and he right. hung out with us afterwards. And wow. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine a less pretentious human being. Yeah. He just hung out with us and played pool. And yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. we have a park near where I live near Brooklyn Heights, which is uh, dedicated to him. And um, I just remember him being a fantastic performer. Him yeah. and a guitar, and that's it. In a you know, in a beautiful theater of like two thousand people, and mm -hmm. he kept the crowd entertained. Yeah, There's, I, how do you explain that kind of natural chemistry that some people have? have I mean, you must have seen a lot of it. You must have seen people with great talent musically who just have absolutely no charisma yeah. and then other people where it's like you don't even care about the talent you're just going to watch them for an hour or two whatever they do is did you have those experiences yes sincerity goes a long way in the case of shape i saw him too when i was in college he did the uh hat shell in boston in government center he played free outside but yeah um there were ones that just had that magic when they hit the stage there's so just a 
a certain beauty in them that's just phenomenal how immediately their passion and sincerity just touches everyone and other ones are just great mechanics but they just you know don't have any showmanship at all i know there's a guitar i i don't want to name people that i right. not but there's a i remember seeing or listening to a guitar player who technically may be the greatest guitar player i ever heard technically right but like so little soul in it yeah, that right. I, I would rather hear an Apple computer play it exactly. kind of. Um, yeah. Whereas like, you know, Santana, well, he's a great guitar player, but yeah. I think the thing that you would say about guys like Santana or Mark Knopfler or even Clapton or some of those guys is like, they, they bring something to the table that other sure. people don't bring. Absolutely. Uh, who, who's uh, someone where you saw them and were like, this person's going to be a star. Do you have oh, anything yeah. like that? Yeah, we definitely have. Um, I can't think of the top of my head, but definitely no. something that they have the magic, you know. You know, I've said if I had a record label, I would sign them. You know, that's <laughs> happened that's happened quite a bit. You know, the labels don't exist anymore. The old cutting room they still did. We did a lot of showcases, you know, they don't, they barely exist. But um but do yeah. you think that's because everybody's putting out their own stuff and creating their yeah, own Pro label? Tools killed it. There's no retail stores. Well, you know, there's no Tower Records. They don't have that. So they're just making it on the old catalog and you know, everything gets knocked off and sampled and all that. The money's in the publishing. But um, I mean, we were the old cutting on that. Erdogan came came around, Clive Davis, he's been to both. You know, we had those guys, people like Arif Martin, may rest in peace. We've yeah. you know, um even Sam Sam, what's the name from um Sam Phillips we, we with the old cutting room. I all those guys. Wow. Jeff Emmerich. I, wow, you're naming some heavy hitters. I mean, Clive is still around. Yeah. I, I urge people to check out that documentary about him. It really yeah, is we'll impressive. He walks into the cutting room. We did Iris's 40th anniversary party, at that, and he wow. came with um, with uh, Dion Warwick. You know, I feel I, I I think I had it really good as a kid of the 60s. I really? remember, and I feel bad for these kids who don't get this. You would hear songs on the radio, or an album would be coming out and would be getting teased. So you'd go to the record store near you. We didn't even have a mall. We'd be like a strip mall. I grew up in Massapequa, okay, out on Long Island. So similar to Sherp, Jersey. Um, and you'd go to Sam Goody's or one of those places, and you'd look, and they'd have the top 100 on the billboard. And you'd look, and you'd go, Tommy James and the Shondells has a new single out. I should get that. And you'd buy the 45. By the way, kids, if you don't know what I'm talking about, Google is your friend. Tommy yeah. James and the Shondells, by the way, a hit, a hit factory of their own. Yeah. Like I, there's nothing like these bands, right? Like, um, but anyway, you, you'd go, you'd get the 45, and you'd get a bunch of 45s, and then you'd go to your friend's house, and you'd listen to each other's 45s. Right, it was communal. Um, and then the album would come out, and you'd smell the album, you'd mm -hmm. put it on the record player, and you'd listen to it at least once through, and then you yeah. go, okay, now I'm going to go through it again. It was a it was a whole different ball game, and discovering other people's oh, yeah. music was great. Mm -hmm. I, I do appreciate being able to have so much music right here on my phone, but there's a, something that doesn't exist that existed then. And um, you know, as a musician myself, I love that I can like say record with Jay Messina, right? You know, we recorded a couple of things together, and I can put out my stuff. But it's not. There's something. It's different. And uh, I'm sure, you know, if people have 
have an, a point, a different point of view, they can certainly write to me at www.isthatreallylegal.com. Um, the problem is now we're drinking from a fire hose. It's like everybody has a band. So how do I know what's good? You know, they say we don't like gatekeepers, but you know what? The gatekeepers gave us some amazing music. Guys like Clive Davis, you know, they signed bands that nobody knew about. They went to hear them. Yeah. Those guys had ears. You know, we used to say, yeah. how do I know that this is the band that I should be listening to? Sure. I mean, so I want to ask you about, yeah. So how did you meet Jay Messina? Just, just I'll pick him as one guy. Through Dennis Ferrante, who was an engineer at the record plant, Jay was one to do his wedding reception at the old cutting room, which we did. And he had great, you know, I think it was John Chopay, Spinoza, uh, Huey McCracken. He had all these great city musicians there that played. I so, mean, Jay knows, uh, Jay has forgotten guy. more about music than I will ever know. Yeah. But he's also, he was in there with some real talent. Um, sure. The Brecker Brothers, like, like yeah. Uh, you know, all those kind of things. And I know he worked with Miles. I did a great interview with Jay about, uh, and we included things like how he worked with Miles and some other amazing people. But, you know, Jay is one of those guys, and I feel like you're this way too, that fly under the radar. Like, he yeah. doesn't come into a room and say, yeah, I'm a rock and roll genius. Ask me anything. Jay's yeah. just a, like, a yeah, low-key. Right, right. Do you, are there people that you feel deserve uh, more credit than they've gotten in this business that you miss maybe? Yeah. Oh, I definitely do. Yeah. They're like, um, what's we call from Sparrow Gyro, the guitar player, Julio. He's a great player. Nobody knows him, you know, you're the people like that I see all the time that just, uh, you know, you don't understand why they didn't make it. To Phil, yeah. to Phil Kenny Ramon, what a voice, you know. Oh yeah. Does Phil Ramon ever hang out at the cutting room? No, I met him at Elaine's once, but no, not at the cutting room. <laughs> We've had Billy Joel twice, however. Speaking of, of Phil Ramon, uh, yeah, right. I mean, I think yeah, Billy Joel's probably Phil Ramon's most famous act. Yeah. Got to be right. Yeah, Sinatra, he's done, but yeah, Billy consistently. <laughs> yeah, I. I, you know, I think of Sinatra as working with so many different people, and I think of him being kind of Quincy Jones's guy, but uh, I didn't know that actually Bill Ramon had worked with him. Yeah. Um, I just, I, I feel like there are still some people uh, in New York who will never leave. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know if you've ever had Patti Smith there, but Patti is yeah. still like an institution. Yeah, sure. Um, do you, you know, you've seen so many changes and we've talked about a, oh, them yeah. a little bit as we're running out of time. This has gone flying by. Um, what do you see that could make you optimistic? Wow. Um, people moving back again, you know, instead in, in like little stores opening up, not just chain stores, but the rent's got to come down because it doesn't make any sense. The rents keep going up and the city's empty. So we know when I see record shops and bookshops and music stores and clothing stores and young people coming back, 
and people going out at night again. That you got to go out, man. You got to live. You got to be with people. It's not the same. You know, sitting on your bed with pro tools, sitting on your bed watching stuff on YouTube. You know, it, I love getting lost in record stores and getting dressed up and going out and going to places like Elaine's, you surround tables and talk to people. That was New York, meeting people, exchanging ideas. That that's what I miss. Yeah, you know, the cutting room, but. Yeah, you know, for the last couple of years, as I said, I live in Brooklyn, and a lot of us who live in Brooklyn thought of it as a suburb of Manhattan. You know, I had an office yeah. in Wall Street, I'd go in, some, and, you know, we still go in for museums and events. And, but what happened with the pandemic was a lot of us were like, you know what, Brooklyn's its own city. So we yeah. just stayed here. And, sure. you know, we've got museums here, we've got restaurants and whatever. And I, when I came back to Manhattan after literally not being there for a while, I was stunned by how much left, how much went out of business. Yeah, oh God, yeah. It was like a tumbleweeds going through the financial district, you know? Uh, oh, yeah. uh, so, you know, the fact that you're still there, first of all, congratulations. Thanks. Um, it must have been, I'm sorry. So we have a nice landlord that's that's smart enough to know if I go, he's going to take it to a shoe store. So we, he said, we got to help each other. And we are. That's, that's great. I think that there's a business sense that you have to have to be successful in show business. Yeah. What do you th because as much as talent's important to be able to wheel and deal, to be able to schmooze, mm -hmm. to have, I, I don't know your background. My mother would always say you have to have a Yiddish Kepi. Nice Jewish boy also. And, and uh, you know, whatever people want to say about our people, uh, there is a business sense. I'll say it um, that not that you know we can make something happen for everybody. That's what it's only good with everybody winning. Absolutely. And um, I feel like that's part of the history of the country. I mean, you have such a glorious history. Have you looked at any kind type of history or book? or uh, some kind of documentary about your years in the music business or yeah, in the performance he's, he's got a publisher he's doing a book a, a cutting room coffee table book with pictures and the whole story and all that and a publisher picked it up so oh i didn't even know this a friend of mine a boyhood friend so do, can you know. talk any more about that or are you sure, just going to sure. tantalize us what, what, what? yeah what, what publisher do you know it's called Genius Publishers. Genius. Mm -hmm. I don't know them, but he he found them, and uh, his name is Dan Harari, and he's he's a publicist, and he's uh he's doing it. So we got to scrunch up all these pictures and everything, you know. So I'm thinking of all the old stories and all that. It reminds me there was a fantastic music store named Manny's. Oh sure. Uh, there was a. There used to be a music store row in New York for people who don't know it, and so the old Sam Ash and Manny's and a couple of others—they're all gone. Rudy, you buy guitars. So many of them were there. Yeah. yeah. So, but Manny's had pictures of everybody. All their PR people would send the pictures, or the people would come in and they'd sign them. So yeah. one of the cool things as a musician, when you didn't have any money to buy anything except maybe some strings or picks, you go to Manny's. And you mm -hmm. just walk around and look at yeah. all the acts who sign stuff. You know, for me, like the Mamas and the Papas, the Beatles, the Four Seasons, oh, whatever, they're all over the walls. So but cool. when that place closed, yeah. they made an online museum of all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, I love that. Rudy's, yeah. of course, is downtown now in Soho. Yeah. 
Yeah. And uh, my wife, I love her. She bought me a couple of guitars on different birthdays that I have. I have a Gretsch. Um, you know what? It's right here. Show you. I love this guitar. Oh yeah, nice. Yeah, I have a I have a blue metal flake white falcon. Oh my god! Really so you do have a Gretsch. I mean, do you have any Rickenbackers? No, I don't. I should get a 12-string one day. Well, I have a Rickenbacker bass, a 4,001 bass. <laughs> For people who don't know what that is, that's probably the Paul McCartney and Getty Lee are yeah, two of the biggest the acts. Yeah. Um, the rockers. <laughs> yeah. And I also have a Taylor Acoustic Electric that I won't grab and show you. But I don't I don't have nearly as many as I want, um, and that's probably for the best. I only have a two-bedroom apartment. Uh, if I had as many guitars as I wanted, I would have to probably have a studio to keep them all. Yeah, mine are all over the place, yeah. <laughs> Under beds, you know. <laughs> um, look, we're, we're getting close to wrapping up. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about or tell people about the cutting room? What are you guys up to? Uh, um, for the year ahead just a lot more music we do a lot of book releases um all burlesque we have ariel all kind of comedy all kinds of stuff you know anything with quality so when you say ariel you mean ariel performers who you like trapeze kind of thing yeah we have I mean, it's a big music. space oh yeah it's high ceiling yeah it's a big space yeah so um you know come support the arts it's like and say you know and stick around and talk and people and you know, be in the moment. I don't watch it on YouTube. Yeah, I really love going out and meeting people and exchanging. You know, you can actually make friends at these events, right? Oh, you yeah. can make lifetime friends Absolutely. because you both loved a certain show. You shared a beer. And That's then you can, oh, and then since it's New York, you can walk out and go somewhere else for something Absolutely. to eat. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward as much as there's, you know, concerns about ongoing diseases and other stuff. I do feel like people have decided they're done and yeah. um and they want to just keep going out and doing things. Um here's hoping that the businesses get back on track and we all can have fun and do stuff. Yeah, is there any is there anything you wanted to talk about that we didn't touch on Steve? i don't think so that's that's it you know just get into the music not computerized stuff <laughs> people playing live not pushing buttons you know that's that's where it's at when you feel that human touch that's important i like it so that's a good thing to end on steve walter thank you so much for being on is that really legal with that i'm with my guests sometime you have carmine and peace this weekend the cow sills in september we have a lot of cool stuff coming up the Cowsills for kids. Oh my God. The kids who don't know the Cowsills, of course, were in the sixties and maybe early seventies, a family. And yeah. huh, they've had a lot to talk about because the family wasn't uh, completely what it seemed to be, but amazingly good singers. There's the a lot of tragedy. Chills. Yeah. And their big hit was the single from hair. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but they've done a lot of other stuff and some of them have been in other bands some really talented performers and it's it's lovely to see these people continue to thrive and be artists i'm so i just want to thank you for having a place where we can see live music and still uh hear and see the things we love so thanks thanks so much for being here it's really a pleasure to my meet you pleasure. come by and say hello i absolutely will i'll bring my wife too please anytime come be my guest and that the Cow Sills father makes Murray Wilson seem like a nice guy. So. <laughs>
<laughs> For people that don't know, he's talking about the Beach Boys dad. That's a whole, oh man, we, you know what? We, I'll do a whole episode on dysfunctional parents of stars. Okay. We do the, the Jackson 5, I mean, yeah, exactly. John Lennon's father, I don't know. So it's a whole, yeah. All right, well, thanks again. My pleasure. I hope to see you soon. Take care. Wasn't Mr. Walter at the very least entertaining and certainly informative? And he's just another piece of New York that I'm thrilled that we have. Uh, I'm also thrilled that you listen. Um, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast so you can get it on a regular basis. Also, share it with your friends through many of the various ways that you can share podcasts. You know, if you've just discovered the podcast, you can, in fact, go to the website and download any of the previously almost 100 episodes. Um, you have questions, concerns, uh, thrilling things to share? Go to www.isthatreallylegal.com. There is a, a special box, uh, a way to get in touch with me. Please use it. I'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear from you. Yes, and me and my tremendous team. Um, stay tuned for more exciting and fun interviews. We're also going to get a little more political. I keep threatening to do that. We haven't so much. Um, but there's a lot going on. Elections are around the corner. And you really need to participate any way you can. From simply voting to helping other people get to vote to donating money to candidates, to getting the word out there, whatever it is. Be active. Participate. That's how we keep a democracy. Until then, have a lovely week, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.